Good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Medical Grand Rounds. We are delighted today to have as our topic something truly important, the title being truly becoming a culture of caring, might an organized commitment to compassion be the way. And we have two of our own Dartmouth folks who will be presenting to us. I'll briefly introduce each of them. So Joe Donnell, although I always thought from his accent he came from New York City, <laughs> turns out he went to Boston Latin, Harvard undergrad, came up to Dartmouth, Dartmouth to do his two years of uh, baccalaureate before getting his MD degree at Harvard Medical School. And as you know, he's been a leader at the Geisel School of Medicine now for over 35 years. He um, is currently, uh, he had joined the faculty in 1978, and as you know, he's in, been in the dean's office since 1986, and he's currently the senior advising dean in that office. He's director of community programs, and he's a professor of medicine and of psychiatry. But Joe is also a practicing medical oncologist. He served for many years as the chief of oncology at our Veterans Affairs Hospital. He's um, been called the heart and soul of the medical school, and he is. His CV is way too long to tell you all of the myriad things that Joe participates in, but I'll pull a few of the highlights. One of the things is that he characterizes himself as the dean of the informal and hidden curriculum an important place where values are made, and that is very true. If you spent any time with Joe, you know that um, what he brings to bear is not only what's obvious, but what needs to be obvious. He's led the students at Geisel to develop an active community service program, champion programs in international health, and led efforts to incorporate the humanities in medical education. He's been the force behind the Urban Scholars Program, he provides leadership for the Thomas P. Almy chapter of the Gold Humanism and Medicine Honor Society. He chairs the advisory group for the Dartmouth Center on Addiction, Recovery, and Education. He leads, as many of you know, <clears throat> the New Hampshire Vermont Schweitzer Fellowships. And he's the senior fellow of the C. Everett Koop Institute and was the inaugural recipient of the Holly Fell Satay Award for his leadership in advancing diversity and community at Dartmouth College. He's also the director of the Marsh Tenney Society at Geisel. For all those things and so many more, we're very grateful of Joe's many, many years of teaching us about compassionate care, and we look forward to his participation. Peter, known as Pano Rodis, is a practicing clinical psychologist uh, and lecturer in the Department of Psychiatry at the Geisel School of Medicine. He did his undergraduate degree in intellectual history at UC San Diego. He got his master's at Case Western Reserve in English literature. He then got his master's and PhD in school psychology and counseling psychology um, uh, following that. He, uh, for 13 years, and that was at the UMass Amherst, sorry. For, for, for 13 years, he served as a leader and facilitator of the Schwartz Center rounds at Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center. These interdisciplinary forums are dedicated to fostering the delivery of compassion-centered patient care. Over the last five years, Dr. Rodas has also been the co-creator and lead teacher of several courses at Geisel, including the Psychotherapy Crash Course for second-year psych residents, the Profession of Medicine, a course for first- and second-year medical students that uh, situates compassion-centered medicine as a core philosophy for professional development, maintaining compassion as a centering ethos for the emerging physician and patient, as well as suffering physician awareness and the therapeutics of compassion-centered medical care, both for fourth-year students. And the psychology of illness, patient care, and the provider, a course for first-year students emphasizing methods for putting compassion-centered medical care into clinical practice. Over the years, he's held several academic appointments in many departments at Dartmouth College, including in the English department, the education, an environmental studies department, and also has taught at Thayer. He's currently a visiting associate professor in the MALS program, the Master of Arts of Liberal Studies program at Dartmouth. He's well published in this area of uh, compassion-centered research. He's been a grant recipient along with his colleagues in this area. And without further ado, I introduce to you a very unique medical grand rounds today one in which I hope we will participate, and I know one in which we will gain much. So Joe and Pano, thank you for being here today. Thank you.
Um, how's everybody doing? Good. Um, you know, I, 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 the topic for today is Rich so eloquently um, uh, stated is compassion in medicine. And, and can we truly be, be a, 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 a culture of caring? Um, as it says on the bottom of the letters we get for the leadership here. Uh, and can we truly live what it says on the website of the medical school, which is connecting hearts and minds to transform lives? And so that's what we're going to really uh, think about a lot today. But compassion, as you know, as Rich said, has always been an important part of my life, an important part of uh, my education here, you know. And one of the things I would say is, and he told all of my details of my history, is that compassion was a centering ethos for, uh, the, from the moment I arrived here on the Hanover Plain in 1969 to be a first-year medical student at Dartmouth. And you know, uh, I, I think it's very fitting that we're in this building right here that houses the Cancer Center, which is a center of compassion. And actually, the offices for Chad, a center of compassion. This, this place is uh, really got all the elements to be an amazing, uh, compassionate um, place. And what I wanted to do, and, and uh, Rich told about my history, but I wanted to say a little bit of the details about this, this to sort of tell you how I think we got to where we are here today. And, and as I said, um, compassion was a centering ethos even before I reached the dean's office in 1985, actually. And uh, during that time, uh, during that fir those first few months in the dean's office, um, I got asked to take a group of medical students to actually have breakfast with Professor Rob, Robert Coles from, from Harvard, who was going to give the convocation address that year. He was going to receive an honorary degree. And we had a wonderful conversation about literature and medicine and about, uh, about service as an ethos and centering in medicine. And I stayed for a long time after the students were there uh, meeting with Dr. Coles, and he became my mentor uh, in a way. And uh, at, the end of the, at the end of that uh, convocation address, he said to me, Joe, I'll come up here and teach some literature and medicine classes. And so we were blessed for a number of years when Bob Coles came up and taught literature and medicine, and uh, both to the community and also to um, the, the uh, medical students. But I had been a pure science major in college at, at, at Harvard, and I think I was afraid to go to humanities courses because you had to write papers and you had to talk and things like this. What Bob, Bob Coles did for me is he opened this whole hidden life that I had, this hidden interest in humanities and medicine, and he allowed me to see the power of it. And his two books, one's called The Call of Stories and the other one's called The Call of Service, became my mantra. Uh, his philosophy of doing as part of learning. Uh, which is, I think, something that President Hanlon is talking a lot about right now, experiential learning as a way to produce wisdom uh, as a unique thing about Dartmouth, really caught my attention back in the, the uh, 80s. And, and Coles connected me with some, um, uh, some what were venture philanthropists at that time. They, run a, they ran a, a program called the Equine Green Fellowship, and we were the first with Harvard Medical School selected to have people do years worth of community service supported by these folks. And what happened was we had a lot of trouble uh, getting medical students to actually take a year off to do service. And so one of the things that I asked if we might do is uh, get a small grant from them to actually see if we could do community service right in our neighborhood. And there was a supplement in the Valley News about all the helping agencies in the Upper Valley. And I hired three medical students in 1986 to survey those things and to see uh, what we could do. And we had an amazing uptake of that. And by 1998, 100% of the students in the medical school were doing service. And they averaged 5.6 projects during the four years of the medical school. We did a, a, a review of that, um, you know, trying to figure out how to improve community service a number of years later. And the faculty member who read the dean's letters of those students said, what they do is stunning. What they do is stunning. And it's, it's so somewhat unknown by the rest of the faculty. We won some awards for community service, the best school doing community service from AMSA. We were in the hunt for the AAMC's community service award. But uh, later, um, uh, we took this and we submitted a grant for the Culpeper Foundation. And uh, actually, uh, it had three parts of it. One part was to integrate ethics and humanities into the curriculum. And I worked pretty diligently with uh, Bill Nelson and a whole bunch of other people at that time to really instill some of the things that 
Kohl's had started, started back in 1985, uh, and we were really going pretty well on that. In 94, we started the Schweitzer program, the third in the US. And it was a very momentous night at the Hanover Inn, in the front room of the Hanover Inn. Also, the Dartmouth International uh, Health Group was founded that same night, which sends students all over the world still. We were the third institution in 1998 to actually uptake uh, Rachel Remen's course called The Healer's Art. Now 75 schools do this across the nation. <laughs> and um, Kenny Swartz um, was the son of a, one of my teachers in Boston, Bill Swartz, who was a wonderful nephrologist. Uh, and Kenny was a lawyer, and he developed uh, lung cancer and was treated extraordinarily compassionately uh, at uh, Mass General Hospital. And when he died, he left his estate to found what was called the Swartz Center. And the Swartz Center does these Swartz rounds. We were one of the organizations, George Little, Bill Boyle, uh, Bridget Mudge, and a, and a whole bunch of people in pediatrics got us to, to have the first PEDS rounds uh, of Swartz rounds in the United States. And it endures to this day, given monthly. Um, in 2007, uh, a surgeon, Lynn Peterson, who had been the ethics coordinator uh, at Harvard, retired up to Woodstock. And he used to run the Swartz rounds at the uh, Brigham Hospital. And so he came over and talked to Jim Burnett and I and some other people and said, why don't we do Swartz rounds in adults? And we did. We started those, uh, and they continue to this day, too. Uh, and then that was, the first, that was when I first met Pano. Um, and uh, we had a conversation about, wait a second, we're doing it in peds, we're doing it in adults, why don't we try it in our third year medical students? And so uh, in 2009, we started this pilot program of doing uh, switch rounds in between clerkships. So we had students off on six clerkships. In the inter-clerkship experiences where the whole class would get together, we'd focus on stories about compassion. Um, and that was quite successful. It got, it got kind of uh, squashed because the curriculum changed, and there were eight-week and six-week uh, rotations, and we no longer could have the whole class together very, very much. But what happened was um, that we decided to uh, begin the new curriculum quest and, and uh, back to the future, uh, just as we had done early in the Culpeper Grant, ethics and humanities were identified as an important thread. And um, a steering group was identified, and Tim uh, Leahy and Bill Nelson and a whole group of others are doing a tremendous job uh, trying to figure out how to weave ethics, humanities, and compassion into the curriculum. Uh, in 2012, we got a grant from the Swartz Center because what we wanted to do is take the rounds into the early part of medical school. And uh, we started this when our mantra was connecting hearts and minds rounds in year one. Uh, Pana will talk more about this, year one and two, and also in year four. Our, our problem still is what we would do in, in year three during the clerkships. And actually right now we're in the process of uh, putting in a grant to the Templeton Foundation about uh, uh, George Washington University Institute of Spirituality and Health Templeton Reflection Rounds that would be done in the, spirit, in, in the surgical clerkship with Tim, Tim Siegel taking the lead uh, with the chaplains Frank Mark. Mark and Pat McCoy and Karen Scala from the Cancer Center. So we're very excited about that possibility of compassion-centered rounds in the surgical clerkship, of all things. Um, and uh, the, the grant from the SWOT Center allowed us to select six students who did projects around compassionate care. Just an example one, and not to single out any of them, because six were, were very good, but one of the things the students learned that experiential things were really important. So during the time that uh, uh, the students were studying nutrition and starvation. Uh, one of the students who was a Swartz fellow had a group of her peers uh, live on food stamps for a week uh, compared to a control group and measured the difference their attitudes uh, towards uh, starvation, nutrition, food insecurity. And it was a wonderful project. And he, we had six more projects that were, were uh, great too. And to sustain the program because the Swartz Center grant uh, ended, uh, we got a gift from a, a generous alumnus and then applied to the Dolan Family Foundation who have awarded us a grant. And that will be the gist of what we talk about mostly today, develop a center-wide program, not only in the medical school, but in the whole center. Uh, this year we've got 11 Swartz Fellows uh, doing compassionate-centered pro projects, research, uh, mentored by a whole bunch of people, but the uh, uh, program coordinated by, uh, by Martha McDaniel. And now we're here today to really, this is almost the launch of the Dolan Grant, uh, to tell you about what we're going to do, uh, or what we, what we want to do, and about the grant. Um, 
One time in my life, I had the unbelievable privilege to have dinner with uh, Dame Cicely Saunders, who was the founder of hospice. And I remember I sat beside her, and uh, I asked her about why do you do this work, or what do you get from this work? And her answer to me was profound. It was, this work brings people, brings me people, uh, brings people into her life, extraordinary people into her life. And I feel so blessed in my whole career uh, of the people that have come into my life. But one of the truly extraordinary people that's come into my life is Pano, uh, Peter Rodas, um, who is a great friend, uh, a great colleague, a mentor, uh, and an inspiration uh, and a soulmate. And uh, so I'm going to turn the podium over to him right now to really do the gist of, of uh, the meat of what we're, we're trying to do today. So Pano Rodas. Thank you. <laughs> that was all too generous. Um, can you hear me okay? So. I want to talk first about um, the complexity of having a conversation um, about something as central to our institution as its uh, motto. Uh, being a culture of caring is uh, itself profoundly inspiring and also raises questions. Um, and so <clears throat> what I would love today is for after I you know, speed through um, some of the materials um, whose purpose is really the prime conversation is that we have an authentic, caring, respectful relationship about how we can get there. Um, when we talk about culture change, uh, which is in a sense what we're doing, um, we know that we're taking on something immense, something with history, a history that extends beyond the institution but includes the institution's history. Uh, we know that we're talking about uh, people who have devoted their lives, uh, their service, their career, um, and that there are understandable sensitivities and um, 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 investments. And so one of the things that we want to be in this conversation is in a place in which we are constructively critical, if we wish to be critical, that we avoid any sort of ad hominem statements, that we try to direct our energies towards um, really giving voice to what is real uh, and doing it in a way that inspires uh, companionship and collaboration. Uh, this Dolan grant that Joe spoke of uh, enables us <coughs> to step forward and really <coughs> with um, the efforts of many fine people, several of whom are in this room, really try to take this aspiration of becoming a culture of caring and try to make it come true. And it won't come true uh, by the efforts of any small cadre. Uh, it'll come true um, because we all walk the walk. And to walk the walk, we need to do that work of self-examination <clears throat> we have to look at our culture. We have to look at the way that we've drunk the culture. And how much of it do we want to spit back out? How much of it do we want to renew? Uh, how much of it do we want to fashion into something that has never been seen before and is better than anything that's ever been seen before? This place has that potential. And so in this conversation, uh, very important to me, um, is that we maintain that kind of um, um, respect for one another. Having done this for many, many years, uh, walking into uh, <coughs> auditoriums filled with medical personnel, I'll tell you that there is a natural mix of responses when you talk about something like compassion or care. Um, and this uh, is kind of uh, a very quick, you know, sort of look at what the spectrum can be, but there are a lot of people who immediately respond. And they say, of course. What else inspired me to become a doctor or a nurse or a social worker uh, or anything else? It was because I cared. Uh, and I wanted my caring to have uh, a meaningful impact on the life of others. 
But we can get all the way down to the other end where there are um, people who, on principles that I deeply respect, say, this is peripheral. Um, what has compassion or caring got to do with the business of saving lives, healing wounds, sutures, bandages, um, getting people's health care uh, processed and out the door in a way that uh, is consistent with all the obligations that befall uh, a major corporation that has to sustain itself financially. Um, or who say, I don't see the connection. Rationality, uh, the foundations of science, these are the principles that we should use uh, and upon which we must stand in order to do our work with the utmost ethicality. I respect those positions, and I want those who disagree with concepts like culture of caring or compassion-centered medical care to feel just as welcome as the people who think it's a good idea. Because um, really, the subject today or tonight is love. This is a po poem from the 13th century poet uh, Hafiz, who's my man. Um, <laughs> The subject tonight is love, and for tomorrow night as well. As a matter of fact, I know of no better topic for us to discuss until we all die. And this guy, when he says die, exclamation mark, he means it. Sufis filled themselves with the joy of this world and the next, to such a point that they were noted for their dancing. Uh, and some are called whirling dervishes. Um, but they also expressed this ecstatic vision of love becoming the consummate overriding principle of life um, in poetry, in daily life, in service. Um, I'd love to be here. <coughs> I'd love to be uh, uh, in a room uh, every day of my life in which uh, spirits like Hafiz's come to life, and they do. I'm lucky, uh, I think we all are, that this is possible. Now, if I hit this link, I'm hoping that what'll come up is, can you guys see that okay, or can I enlarge this somehow? Um, AV expertise, or should I just read it? Read it, read it. Okay, that means I have to find my glasses. All right, here we go. Uh, this is from Jim Weinstein. I won't read the entire thing, but um, what is a culture of caring? I believe it captures what is special and unique about our health system and the people who work here. We care for people. We care about people, especially our patients and their families, and we care about each other. I also know from talking to staff, physicians, and volunteers that we care deeply about the quality of our work and feel pride in what we do. In the midst of many changes and uncertainty, it's natural to focus on the challenges before us and the negatives. We need to take time to remember that this is a very, very good organization. For example, we treat some of the sickest people in the country. Um, and it's not just clinical care. A patient recently told me about his excellent treatment at DH, but he said the excellence doesn't stop there. It's the whole experience of being there. The buildings are clean and bright. Things are in good repair. No burnt out light bulbs, holes in the walls or broken chairs. The food is better than a lot of restaurants. And everywhere you go, the people are friendly and helpful. If you have to be sick, this is a great place to be. For me, that was a pretty good description of a culture of caring, from our engineering and painting crews to our dining staff, from pharmacy to pediatrics, housekeeping to hematology, in Manchester, Concord, Nashua, Keene, Merrimack, Plymouth, Everyone who works here plays a part in the patient and family experience. And then there are va various videos here that you can tap into. Um, part of what comes through uh, in Jim's comments, oh, I have to get rid of, forgive me. Will this take me away? Yes. Okay, forgive me, I got it. Yeah, yep, here we go. So. He's talking about, we're going to come back to this particular slide at the very end of our conversation because we want to try to populate it. 
is where do these things happen? Uh, Jim's case is that it happens all the time and it happens everywhere and it happens from top to bottom and it happens across the board and that this place is rife with caring. Um, but now putting on a critical hat, and by critical I don't mean demeaning or fault-finding or uh, that I'm throwing stones at something that, uh, in fact, I love. Uh, there's times for throwing stones. You, know, you can catch them. You don't need to get hit in the eye by them. Um, and then you can toss them back underhand and say, you catch it. And what I mean by critique is that we look analytically and we look seriously. We employ strategies of analysis um, that we've learned from our own experience, that we've learned from the humanities and social sciences, that we've learned from our careers. And we ask questions like this. Have we thoroughly defined it? Do we know it when we see it? Something that's very important is do we teach caring? We're an academic institution. Um, if caring is something we value, is it articulable and is it transmissible? Is it something that we can begin to say is part of what we do every day, that we teach others and that we receive teaching in this thing of such value? Um, thirdly, do we talk about it? Is it an active part of written and oral discourse in medical spaces? Uh, it's getting back to what I said before. Um, there are some who don't think it belongs. And if we look at the um, preponderance of grand routes, the preponderance of uh, on-the-ground conversation, do we find that caring turns up as something that we really measure ourselves against, whatever we believe it to be? And do we reward it? And if so, how? These are some questions to keep in mind um, as we toggle forward. Um, as Joe explained, um, there exists this um, model that is evolving and that we're contributing actively to its evolution. And this model is called compassion-centered medical care in which, as we've done in the medical school in the first two years, we've said, okay, you're entering into a guild, into a profession um, with a venerable history. Um, and we know that the professionalization process is arduous, uh, demanding, and unfortunately, often it, um, it beats the spirit out of people. Um, and we have had, uh, over the last three years, um, much to my uh, pride, uh, uh, a trajectory upwards in terms of um, students reporting that they were not mistreated, that they did not feel harassed, that they did not feel as if their education lacked compassion. So we're getting better. But three years ago, we had one of the highest levels of students in the nation reporting that they felt mistreated during the course of their training uh, here at at the Geisel School of Medicine. Um, Compassion-centered medical care then comes in for Joe and I as a model for refashioning professionalism, which is that we want to say that caring or compassion, which we're going to try to define as we move into this, um, has to be at the heart of what we do, um, that it nourishes us that to love others, to care for our patients, to care for our uh, companions, our co-students, uh, our, our teachers, and for them to care about us doesn't diminish our expertise but enhances it. One of the worst ways to train a person is to put them in a state of fear. Uh, one of the things that um, uh, a psychologist who study learning will tell us is that a person who is suffering from fears of discrimination, um, suffering from fears that they'll fail, suffering from fears that um, the content of their education itself is without meaning, um, are not going to do well. They're not going to perform and they're not going to stick it out. 
So if what we begin to do is warm the culture from the beginning, we warm up the teaching, we marry um, this warmth of the heart to the science of the mind, then we are able to create environments for learning that are profoundly more delicious, at the very least, um, but I would argue also more effective than if we keep them focused only on <coughs> rigor and toughness and can you do 120 hours not complying, uh, you know, a week, that sort of stuff. Here's one of my questions is, again, we, we come back to culture inevitably. And it's, it's part of what I love about Dr. Weinstein's um, proposition is that we become a different culture, a culture of caring. But that means we have to take on culture change. And that means that we have to understand the culture in which we dwell. And what I would argue is that um, there is this culture of science and empiricism um, and it is critically important. We shouldn't presume to treat a person for a disease uh, if we don't have evidence-based science behind those treatments. And the pursuit of scientific clarity, advancement, um, is obviously essential. But again, is it in opposition to or in alliance with this culture of caring of healing, of compassionate attention to the suffering of others. Um, maybe I'll go to this one first. Uh, here. What I think we find is that um, if we briefly map medical uh, culture and we look at the discourses uh, that resonate throughout medical spaces, we see that the most sanctioned discourses are at the center. You're safe. If you're a good scientist, uh, you've done research, um, you have evidence behind what you do, um, you've published and you've published in the right journals, um, you uh, already have a kind of uh, uh, in, uh, acceptance and uh, a badge of honor that um, gets you through the door. And it's the core of what we do. Um, we have this circle around um, in which I put caring at the bottom with a question mark. And part of what feeds that, uh, and if we look, for instance, um, at certain journals in medicine, uh, the Journal of Academic Medicine, for instance, um, uh, uh, we see that the medical humanities, patient-centered care, narrative medicine, movements such as this, uh, that circle uh, science and that interface with science and the talk about the delivery. I mean, uh, face it, most of what we do is applied science, meaning that it's applied to the lives of real persons, not just to their bodies, but to the whole person. And so the discourses within this um, surround um, are, again, the aspiration here is to interweave them and inter interweave them in ways that rather than it being a versus, it's a plus in which both are enhanced, that we get better science because we know more. If we care about people, we listen to them, we really are open to what they contain inside. Uh, and we readmit many of the discourses that for a while science really kind of ruthlessly pushed to the side. And the worst moments of that were in the early part of the 20th century, uh, where we had uh, the flourishing first in American medical uh, communities, and then transferred to Nazi Germany, a philosophy about what matters in medicine that became one of the most lethal historical forces. Um, and uh, I mean this, Hitler um, actually uh, felt very envious of America uh, because he felt that uh, America had taken the lead uh, in um, having a concept of uh, a philosophy in medicine which positioned the healthy person in genetic terms as the model 
what we should be aiming aiming for and those who are unhealthy um as if you will uh folks that needed to be culled from the herd in order to maintain the health so where hitler began his killing program was on disabled children 25,000 children died in germany as the first blow this is where uh the nazi medical machine developed the practices that were later deployed to kill millions and it started with doctors at the helm and an, and a use of a medical philosophy that said well your kid is unhealthy obviously needs to be treated um, letters were sent to parents of disabled children pediatricians in local communities were compelled to report the existence of these children they were gathered up together sent to hospitals where they were killed that's historical fact that came out of our culture and we have to live in a memory of that where <clears throat> putting compassion and caring uh at the top of what we care about ourselves has more than just prettiness uh to uh suggest that it's the right thing to do it it is ethically uh, uh arguably imperative that we be historically conscious and that we understand the ramifications <clears throat> the positive and negative of having a philosophy that is appropriate to what we do they go back for a second in 1963 this was uh, a paragraph from an essay that was written against censorship this is when um works like uh the novels of D.H. Lawrence couldn't be published in the United States because they were vulgar and what uh Michael McClure a poet said was a man knows what he is by how he names his states if i do not name my condition i am less defined and lack sureness speech cannot be censored without loss words are part of physiology lost parts of body are losses of spirit there are men and women in honest suffering blaming themselves for misery when the name or word of their torment will swash them the mention of it is the first step to relief or cure but it is denied them by their social company who are joined in a fear to use a word or hear it spoken and if you know anything about greek phi epsilon kappa spells fuck and so in a way sneakily he got in a word that was censured and um we in uh introducing compassion centered medical care are using words with this same kind of trepidation or boldness that when we say care have compassion put it into your teaching it should be in every step of every curriculum uh in every profession we should know what we're talking about when we talk about it it's the same thing as opening the door and saying fuck we've got to do this um so um we had a group we've been running groups um and i want at the end there's going to be a contact uh that will be up on the board for you to join this group which is running under the auspices of the uh Dolan uh Family Foundation grant that we received um and one of the things that we asked we happened upon in our conversation was what are some of the things that we don't talk about anymore in medicine and these are some of the terms that were proposed so self-censorship or the loss of the um of some of these elements of reality um are things that we need to think about putting back into our language back into conversation um so as i was saying before you know it's already there um but we're sheepish about it we're timid about it um many of you joe in fact is uh he and fred hafferty recently who was the man who coined the term the hidden curriculum in medicine uh which refers to um you know all the kind of nasty stuff that happens to uh medical students as they're coming up through the ranks the pimping the browbeating the hierarchy the uh uh the uh, uh the meanness um that sometimes comes through well there's this other shadow in medicine it's a penumbra it's a prettier word than shadow uh and 
it is the living shadow of this tradition of caring that has been there from the beginning of medicine it's with us all the time um so we have a kind of a reverse hidden curriculum that we need to give engines and thrust to we need to sort of step on the gas we know that we care about caring so let's do it let's have some courage um one of the things you know coming back to here is that i didn't really talk about the outer margins here but there are things that don't get in at all to um into medicine uh the unseen the forbidden the fear the unknown if i go quickly to the unseen one of the things that we've found in our work now that's course that joe mentioned that we just launched uh for first year medical students is called the psychology of illness patient care and the provider and it's the first time that dartmouth has ever had a course in psychology at the medical school and it's one of the first times in any curriculum in medical schools that we start talking about the insides of people how they feel how they existentially experience illness um same is true of providers is providers have insides um something funny happened uh in the evolution of of medical culture is that um you know the west with a capital w uh from its roots in ancient greece and jerusalem uh and other places has actually always been dualistic that means that um we aver the existence of the body but we also aver the existence of something else called spirit or soul or at least psyche that there is a person inside the body and that the person has profound implications for how we heal when we're ill uh and the person of the provider matters enormously you know um i promised that i i promised so i have to do it because it's a sacred vow i promised i would be self-disclosing at this point i have cancer uh, uh stage 4 colon cancer um and i've experienced a lot uh of this interior dimension of illness that i knew was there from my patients but i had to discover my own and um the person i really want to talk about though is um for the purposes of self disclosure this is something that you can look at if you want to and there's a second part to it this is just a note from my journal that i've been keeping about illness but along the way it's been a year since my diagnosis almost exactly and what happened is i have colon cancer that metastasized to the peritoneal space so it's very hard to get at um and there's a surgeon at UMass who actually did a residency here and um my oncologists have sent me to her each time they thought that um according to the amount of uh chemotherapy i'd received and the good luck of the ct scan and the pet scan that maybe i i was surgery eligible and i could go down be seen by a surgeon she could look inside and say yep you're clear to go we can do one of those big surgeries where we just clear out all the cancer stitch you back up you weigh 20 pounds less cuz you're missing a lot of meat boy but you're back in the game uh and each time she looked at me i wasn't ready and the last time she looked at me was in october and she said um i've been thinking for a long time about uh something that we could do to help people in your condition and um it I'm going to do it for you. It's never been done before. Um and uh we're going to do this in 2 months. We're going to get started. Which is like a speed record, right? You're going to do you're going to get an institution to pass a new protocol which involves major surgery, uh the delivery of medicines in a way that's not been done before. She invested probably hundreds of hours in getting this new procedure through for one person under a compassionate use clause her name is dr laura lambert and if anybody knows her 
um, think of her with the gratitude that I do. And think of her also with um, the awareness that this is sometimes what caring looks like. It's taking the step past the uh, what is already available and doing what is not yet thought of. Caring drives us to take action. It isn't just a state of emotion or feeling. It is um, a way of acting. Dr. Laura Lambert was supposed to be here today, and I would have loved to be able to uh, hear the applause in this room (laughs) um, for her and her work. Uh, But the weather intruded. Damn it. Um, No, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's what a culture of caring can do. Think of a thousand people so motivated uh, by their caring for a patient. So forgive me if I uh, uh, speed by. This is a poem by Rumi. Um, Compassion may may, may be defined as a deliberate, emotional, intellectual, and pragmatic capacity to identify with and to share actively and caringly in the experience of others. We have much more on this. Compassion has been defined, studied, articulated. Caring Um, is a very related word, but we might, because so much research has gone into compassion, be able to interchange these words in ways that allow us to take a big jump forward in terms of doing the things that I, answering those questions, remember in the beginning, have we defined it? Do we teach it? Um, We've already begun doing it under compassion. I'd be interested in hearing if you guys think that that's a fair equation or a kind of equivalence of terms that would allow us to kind of speed forward a little bit in terms of hitting our target. Um, um, This Dr. Uh, Joan Halifax, who is also a Buddhist Roshi, was here on Monday to talk about her research in how compassion evolves at an individual level. So um, we had this wonderful, rollicking debate, she and I, about whether or not compassion is teachable. Uh, and um, she at once said, no, you know, it's, it's not always teachable. And she says, her example, people with autism who can't feel certain states and as a result cannot feel for others. Um, but it's she also has dedicated her life to teaching compassion and believes very deeply that there is actually a neurologically supported, psychologically supported, practice-based way of getting around to teaching or enhancing compassion in others. This, um, we can disseminate more about um, what compassionate care or compassion-centered medical care is. Here's a definition. I want to be done because um, I want us to talk. And I talk too much, unfortunately. Joe and I, we both suffer from this. Um, uh, We really want your thoughts. But the basic idea of the Dolan Grant is that we start with education, is that we want to establish a center for training and compassion-centered medical care, which is open to every single person in this institution. Anyone who's a teacher or a learner, and that's anybody, um, should have access to the resources of this center. We got our grant approval December 1st, so it's not exactly as if we're up and running. Um, We're in the get-going stage. But we want to know, among other things, what you want from us. So some of the thoughts we have is expand hearts and minds or shorts rounds. Let's do more of them. Build an active, engaged community of committed persons from inside and outside the institution. And again, uh, you're going to get the address, email address for Peg Kerouac. If you want to be part of this, which I hope you do at any level, please write her a note so that you get on the immediate mailing list for everything that comes out when we're having meetings, when we're um, whatever we're doing. We want to partner with so many of the other endeavors here. Uh, The relationship-based care training that's going on in nursing. 
the uh, Center for Shared Decision Making. There's so many things that are compassion-centered in this institution. Um, George Herbert Bush wasn't my favorite president, but I loved the thousand points of light metaphor. But I want those to come together as this warm conflagration where they all unite. Uh, and part of what the Dolan Grant is committed to doing is connecting these endeavors so that they do know of each other and can work together in collaboration. Um, and we want to build spaces for those low in power to express themselves honestly and really be able to explain what it is that they need so that they are treated more compassionately. Many students feel low in power. Many of those people that Jim mentioned initially uh, in his statement about how caring runs through the institution, um, we all know it. Power is part of the thing we must cope with in any organization. But we have to speak truth to power. Um, and, and we want these other things, too. Here's the contact for, uh, for Meg, uh, if you want to be part of it. So uh, I don't know if we can turn on more lights, I think, right here. No, no, I think we can do it right here. OK. Um, so let's talk. Any thoughts? Just making sense. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you for presenting and, and self-disclosing. You made it all the more poignant what you had to say. But what I didn't hear, um, maybe a little bit at the bottom, is about self-care. Yes. And I think healthcare providers are congenitally you know, driven to care for others. Uh, but I think we all could agree if we don't take good care of ourselves, we don't. We, we lose our compassion. And that's a uh, pandemic right now in medicine. So I think it's extraordinarily important. And, and actually, I made this point when we came up with a model around cultural caring, is that we always include ourselves um, um, as part of uh, part of this whole drive to the culture. Beautifully said and absolutely true. Um, what we want to do in, um, as we build out um, the, uh, the Dolan Center is that we want there to be um, available resources for every provider to receive um, support for compassionate self-development. And so among other ideas, we plan to um, bring in, um, uh, have a list of names of Buddhist, Christian, Hindu, Muslim, and uh, psychotherapy workers and others who are available for um, consultation around self-compassion and around um, helping those who are experiencing compassion fatigue. And again, if at the cultural level, um, others are caring about us we don't run out of steam as quickly. And we don't have to care about ourselves as much. You know, when I walk in a room with Joe, he never fails to ask, Pano, how you doing? And if we do that for each other, we also work against the likelihood that we're going to lose our own um, uh, health emotionally. And yet, I absolutely agree with you that it is um, critical. <laughs> I love standing in the light. <laughs> uh, it's, it's something that we have to pay serious, serious attention to. So thank you. You know, uh, the, the Roshi Joan Halifax the other night when they asked that question, uh, her answer was one of the other things we've got to think of is self-respect for the kid. Self-respect is really one of the keys to that. But um, I think that one of the things uh, that we've we've talked about, we want to have happen is, you know, Pano said there are these million circles that that um, come together in this whole thing, including and especially your stuff on, you know, physician wellness and live well, work well, and resilience and you know all of those things going on are all important parts of this um, this whole program. Yeah, Lisa. I think as you think about this, um, Pano and Joe, and and you're thinking. Uh, teaching this, one of the things that I think is very difficult to teach is how to help physicians and nurses um, not run away from the distance, not run away from the suffering. As soon as someone cries, we call in yeah. palliative care yeah, or right. social worker. Social work. You know, and so <laughs> yeah. how do we teach that if you just ride and lean into that dissonance, you're going to hear the resonance at the other side. 
you know, you're, that that symphony is going to become lyrical again, and yeah. you just have to lean in and not run away from it. So, you know, that's my sort of metaphor. And do do others agree that this is generally the case? Is that emotions are scary, uh, patients crying, patients in distress, patients whose suffering has been suddenly made manifest. Um, and what we're doing in, in the first year curriculum with a psychology course is you know, we're laying cases on them in which they have to role play. And they have to role play the suffering patient. Um, and we're breaking out as we move forward. Um, we're doing, we're gonna do the psychology of anxiety. We're gonna do the psychology of depression. But we're also gonna do it in medical context. And what we're really leaning on uh, people to do is to trust the emotional capacity they possess. And to trust also that, you know, what Hafiz said, love is the subject for tonight. It's the subject for every night until we die. One of the things when we get into the emotional realm is we talk about caring and love and feeling compassion for others is rejuvenate, rejuvenating. It isn't just depleting. You know, you know this. I've seen you. You know, you're with somebody who's grieving. Fran is with somebody who's grieving. And you're hurt and restored at the same moment. And so, yeah, um, this is, again. compassion satisfaction. When you can feel that restoration or you feel the difference that you made, that fills the cup when compassion fatigue might get in the way. You know what I mean? That's beautiful. I love that. Do you think there's a possibility that altering the hierarchy, that is by having nurses, aides, uh, physical therapists, patients involved in this setup would, would transform it in a way that would, would allow, allow there to be a more compassionate setting? And hit that power thing too, right? Um, yeah, I do. Um, and I, our first steps, you know, and what we got the money for with the Dolan Grant was to focus on education. Um, and that as a proposition for, you know, kind of um, putting in, in the role of educator many of the people who aren't typically thought of as educators uh, is wonderful. And again, if you will take that idea and send it, um, send more than your names, send your ideas. Um, we really want all of this, and, and we're building a website where a lot of this stuff is going to be, you know, rolling out. Um, but this is, this is going to stay alive. This isn't going to croak. We're going to keep this going. Uh, this train won't fall off the tracks. So invest. Yeah. I was going to say that there's a wonderful essay that Wendell Berry wrote. It's called Health is Membership. And there's a line in there that says that the modern hospital, in the modern hospital, it, it, it's a world of efficiency. <coughs> and patients come from a world of love. And in the modern hospitals, these two worlds cross but never really meet. And uh, both of them need to actually figure out how they can meet. 
and one of the ways i think we do it is that we can do it at the speed of light. we can deliver compassion. richard's going to urge us to leave because there's other people who need the room. but can i make one last remark and that is that um something that's always touched me from my own reading in psychology was a story about a girl who's being very badly sexually abused all her life but there was a cafeteria worker at her school and every time she came through the line this cafeteria worker showed her some she asked how she was doing she said honey to her she gave her her food in a way that was very much a giving of herself and that interaction this girl said kept her alive and we can do compassion even when we're being pushed really fast but we have to develop those capacities that we can do it but we can do it in quick silver ways and I'm sorry, Finally, Joe, I want to thank you so much. I, we do need to clear out of the room. I'm sorry for that. But listen, you, you could do this all day long. We would be here enthralled <laughs> to talk about these issues because they are so core to what we're up to. But thank you so much for this morning.